Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. This beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, national writer on the NBA at The Athletic, here with my guys, Fred Katz out east, Anthony Slater out west. Fred, we're going to get to you in a moment. This is going to be a Fred in the Spotlight podcast because we are going heavy on the Eastern Conference, talking trades, talking on-court action, starting with the Wizards, Fred's old uh, stomping grounds, but Slater, I just have to check in on you. This is a wellness check. We're on Zoom. Uh, the people, I might even see this on YouTube. Um, you look like you had a tough night. You doing okay? Had a great <laughs> night. You had a tough night watching watching some NFL football. I had a great night. I just, you know, a lot, a lot of times great nights impact your morning. <laughs> that's but a, that's I'm a good. good way of I'm good. It. Listeners don't need to know this. I'm, I'll bring it for the next hour. They care hour. about you as a human being. And so first and foremost, they're concerned. And secondly, they, they just want to know that a little bit more about you other than the guy who covers the Warriors and kills it, you know, every time he picks up a pen, so to speak. But um, Cam Brown, huh? Cam, am, I, am I allowed to go down that road? Cam Brown pretty good? If you want, yeah. yes. I took my wife to a Kane Brown concert last night in Chase Center. Um, you know, did the little doubleheader, little Warriors Nets for work on Saturday night. Kane Brown Sunday night. It was good. It was a good time. See, I've tried to learn over the years, Fred. This is this is for the Athletic Pod Network and the Jade Hoy production and Andrew Schleck production. This is the banter segment of. I'm just trying to pick up things here and there. This is what we're doing, Jade. This is for you, Fred. What do you got? Any, any concerts an last night? He's an no, I'm just thrilled that the Jets beat the Bengals this year. So that's the closest they've come to the Super Bowl in a decade. So Linear just, champions. Exactly. The AFC. The Bengals in the Super What's the equivalent of the Bengals in the Super Bowl in the NBA? The Wizards? In I was, the, okay, yeah. as somebody who has, and don't worry, folks, this will become a basketball podcast, but as somebody who has lost touch with, with most of the NFL over the years, other than the, the Niners, who I still kind of stand for, um, I was stunned recently when I was really late to the party learning that the Bengals had not done anything since the icky shuffle was still a thing. Like that blew me away. I hadn't realized that they hadn't even been in the playoffs in however many decades that's been. Yeah, Sam, can we can we out you on your Coldplay concert you're coming up to? I feel like I got to throw. Oh, we're doing the concert thing. Yeah, you. but that's that's a bummer because uh, they they rescheduled it. Uh, COVID has impacted the Coldplay tour, and so now. Uh, it's it's right in the heart of the NBA playoffs, which is not the way that it was uh, it was designed. So stay tuned on that front. All right, let's get to the Cincinnati Bengals of the NBA, the Washington hey, Wizards. Segue, ready to make by Slater. They need they need Joe Burrow though. They need Joe Burrow. They don't have Joe Burrow. They have Bradley Beal, and Fred has got some perspective and stuff that we're going to get into again within the context of. Here's my two cents on the East guys, and as we talked about this week's show, kind of where my head's at. You know, you just see in the standings all of a sudden 
that, you know, you know, a couple of weeks ago, what was the narrative? Man, the East is so much stronger than the West this year. You know, times have changed. Powerhouses in the East, you know, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philly even coming up without Ben Simmons. But a lot of those teams are slumping. The Nets are having a very hard time. No Kevin Durant. Um, you know, no James Harden now. He's got a wrist situation. Uh, a lot of teams going the wrong way in the East. But then here come the Hawks, wanted a bunch of games. Here come... Uh, you know, some, some squads on the bottom, but those wizards that we're going to start with are, uh, are on the outside looking in of the play-in tournament. The Spencer Dinwiddie edition has not gone all that well. Some reporting this week uh, from the ringer, Kevin O'Connor about, about him possibly being on the move. Um, but Fred, give us the lay of the land from your old beat. What do you think might lie ahead for the wizards? Yeah. So they're, they're 23 and 26. They started off 10 and three and they're 13 and 23. Since that start, you know how we always talk about when we're evaluating title contenders, we just kind of we look at the very basic resume and we say, okay, if you're top 10 offense, you're top 10 defense, then, you know, you're you're in the conversation, right? You are balanced and legitimately good on both sides of the ball. I feel like we need to have a conversation about the opposite of that, the lottery contenders and the Wizards right now are 23 and 26. But right now they're bottom 10 offense and bottom 10 defense, which does not bode well for them for the rest of the season. Um, they got they, they have so many guys like they're really struggling with their rotation. Daniel Gafford, they just gave Daniel Gafford a 40 million three year extension and he's out of the rotation now. Um, I mean, you know, they've they've you know, they had a game a couple of weeks ago where Denny Avdia, who was the number nine pick a couple of years ago and has been really good defensively, didn't play. Uh, now I've got Beal dealing with this wrist injury, and and I think the questions as we approach the trade deadline are are legitimately coming up. You know, Bradley Beal is a unrestricted free agent after this season. It's finally happening. It feels like he's been a pending unrestricted free agent for the last two and a half decades, uh, and it's it's finally coming up to the point where the contract is expiring. And uh, I think there are, there are questions about what to do about Bradley Beal and and what's about to come of his future. We've we've heard forever about. Beal wanting to stay and Beal wanting to be there, but I I don't think it's necessarily a slam dunk that he's just coming back and re-signing for the thir- for the five year, you know, thirty five percent max that he's eligible for come this summer. Uh, and and I am very curious to see what they're going to end up doing here. You know what should be noted? He's not having a good season. I mean, he's shooting. Thir- he just got over thirty percent from three. He's currently right at thirty point zero percent from three, um, and you know, the, I think maybe career low in overall field goal percentage too, or maybe not career low, but worse since like he was second, third year in the league. Um, and it's just, I, the you know, the the story of the last couple of seasons, even through their struggles, even through kind of their their tug of war with with Russell Westbrook, was like, well, he's still like he's leading the league in scoring. He's you know this all NBA force. I'm not necessarily sitting here saying like he's declining, but as we discuss, you know, some mega max that the wizards might have to get him. Should the wizards get off of him before, you know, he tries to get off of them basically like he's just like, where is he at right now in his career? Is this the the start of a downturn for him or just an off? Season? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's really interesting with him, you look at the efficiency numbers and, and you're right. Like the, the effective field goal percentage is a true shooting percentage or they're the lowest. He's always been very high volume, but, but really good efficiency, 58 to 60% true shooting, which is a really good number. And that's really fallen this year. In part, I, I think he's been one of the the big guys who's been affected by the new fouling rules. His free throw rate is is pretty substantially down. I think that's hurt him. And you're right. He's just not hitting the three. And I kind of thought when they were 10 and three at the start of the year, like, okay, they're not this good. 
But I kind of thought, okay, maybe they're a 45 win team because even as these other guys start to regress, like Beal shooting like, you know, 25% from three at the time, he's going to start to play like the Bradley Beal that we know. And he's just been down this year. I think you're right. I think, I think you have to question five year, 35% max for a guy coming off a year like that. I wonder though, you know, for, for years and years and years, there's been the talk of does Beal want to stay? And I feel like the whole league kind of got to a point where it was just like, okay, he wants to do it. He wants to be loyal to the Wizards. He really values that fifth year. As I reported many times when I was, uh, you know, on the beat covering them, he really values having, uh, you know, control and power within the organization. And he, and he thinks it's very, it's very important to him to kind of be the guy within the realm of franchise history. I remember talking to him. This was shoot around opening day. 2019, uh, you know, he was, he was, it was, he was like kind of, he was pissed at me. He had just extended and he was, he was pissed at me for asking him about what loyalty meant to him. Cause he said he resigned for loyalty and legacy. I can't remember. I was asking him either what loyalty or what legacy meant to him. And he was, he was annoyed because he thought the insinuation was me saying, well, you didn't really do it for loyalty and legacy. This was in Dallas and they had just put that silhouette of Dirk on the court. And he's staring at that silhouette. And he finally says, you know what legacy is? That's legacy. And he points to the silhouette of Dirk. He's like, that's what I want. It's beyond just like your, it's beyond just your number hanging in the arena. It's it's the silhouette on the floor. That's that's what I want here. Uh, but at the same time, they've they've fallen off. And and I think the organization has spoken with a lot of confidence about their ability to bring him back. You know, their their president, Tommy Shepard, just did an interview a couple of weeks ago with Josh Robbins, our Wizards beat reporter, who does a great job, saying the plan is the same as it's always been. But but I don't think from just people I've talked to, I'm just I'm not as confident now that he is definitely going to come back. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be sitting here betting my life on the fact that Bradley Beal is on the Wizards next season, either because a trade comes or a sign and trade comes or or whatever else, even though I, I'm still making them the favorites. To your point, Fred, um, and, and great perspective there, as always, you know, his Brad's, you know, idea of being the Dirk of D.C., if you will, Um you know, I get that in spirit. You know what I mean? But I think the tipping point that we've reached now comes largely as a result of I mean if you you know if you take a quick second to compare the career arcs of Bradley Beal and Dirk Nowitzki just to stay with that for a second I mean he's 28 years old Brad is and I'm looking here at at good old basketball reference by the time Dirk was 28 years old obviously he had not won a championship yet he'd been in one finals he uh roughly speaking he had competed in about 13 or 14 individual playoff series and you just had this long history of being in the mix. You know what I mean? And so the level of optimism and hope for somebody like Dirk, you know, that kind of success, while not ultimate success, is, is going to keep you from from looking other places and thinking that the grass might be greener. Uh, that's just not been Brad's experience. And, and now, you know, more specific to this season, I wondered as far as his play, what are you seeing beyond things like the foul changes and things of that nature, because this is really stark to have this kind of decline. You mentioned the true shooting percentage. He's around 53% this year. It's his worst since the 2014-15 campaign. Um, I would love to know, you know, we all know that Philly has had Bradley Beal on their list of Ben Simmons trade targets for quite some time. 
He's among the 25, isn't yeah, I mean, he? I would think he's among the five. You know what I mean? Like, well, not the five. Let me, let me back that up. Over Giannis? No, no, no. no that's the thing. The list is always I, yes. the list is always. I, I know what you're... Yes. Because, yes, you know, Giannis and... There's 20 players who are just like unobtainable. Right, but like they are on the list yeah. because that's how the process works, pun intended. Um, LeBron James on the yes. list. Um, Sorry. Although Jokic, like is Jokic on the list? You got a big fella. Who knows? But I wonder if the Sixers. I would say, uh, I would say you would maybe trade uh, Ben Simmons for Nikolai Jokic right now and figure <laughs> the rest out later. I think you might do that. Jokic together. Talk about Twin Towers. Um, but like Brad's current play and, and you wonder how that impacts the calculus within the Sixers, you know, uh, analysis of the situation. Sure. I mean, look, if if you break it down further and you mentioned Spencer Dinwiddie, I think part of the reason the reports like that come out about Spencer Dinwiddie isn't just because of individual play. Like him and Beal, they've had their moments where they've been good together, but those guys have not consistently figured out a way to have strong encore chemistry. And you look at Beal's numbers with Dinwiddie on the floor and Dinwiddie's numbers with Beal on the floor, and then you look at them without the other guy, you look at the team numbers, however you want to look at it, like those guys have not meshed together like the Wizards would hope that they would. Uh, and I think I think that's that's definitely been part of it. From a basketball perspective, if you put Beal in Philadelphia, by the way, he's perfect with Embiid. I mean, he's a good pick and roll player. He, I have to imagine the three-point shot comes back. One of the weird trends of Beal's career is that he came into the league as like the guy who he was compared to was, was kind of off-ball Ray Allen. I mean, that's who he was supposed to be, right? And then he turns into this kind of ball dominant combo guard who's running pick and rolls and running an offense. You know, there, there was a game earlier this year where all their point guards were out. And he had to play point the whole time and he had 17 assists. I do think he's a better passer than he's ever been now. He's a legitimately good passer and career high in assists yeah. this year. Six points. Yeah. I mean, he's he's really become a, a, a very good passer. Um and and so, you know, I think I think he would work tremendously with Joel Embiid. By the way, those two guys have the same the same individual trainer and and I know they have a personal relationship because of that. Uh but but I just, you know, I I don't know how much of his season has to do with you know, wizard specific content uh context versus something else that, you know, is just basketball related or life related or or whatever, but he's definitely had, you know, a down season compared to the past couple of years when he was averaging an efficient 30. Sixth worst three-point shooter in, in basketball among guys who've taken at least 200, right? I'm talking about high-volume guys. He's the sixth worst, and Dinwiddie is the 11th yeah. worst. I mean, those are your two high-volume scorers, and they just they're can't hit threes. I mean, you you cannot have a good offense if that's going on. And, and you know, when we talk about Wizards-specific, uh, you know, situations, to me, last year, the problem was, you know, kind of the, the Westbrook anchor next to him. And you felt like Beal was having this monster season, but the environment around him was dragging him down. Well, they made a really good Westbrook trade. I mean, I don't know how many times we've come on the podcast and, and you know, really kind of hat tip Tommy Shepard for that move. Kuzma's had a good season. I think Harrell's helped and KCP's a solid player. Player. Um, it to me like their record right now is more reflective of like the, what we're talking about his poor play and like the bad fit with him and Dinwiddie which we thought was going to be a much better yeah play. I think I think they're in a position right now to where I mean we're recording this Monday afternoon so 10 days out from the trade deadline I think we're in a, they're in a position right now to where 
no matter what approach they take, whether they're 100% confident that Beal is coming back and we're operating as if Beal is re-signing this summer, or whether they think he's not coming back, I, I expect them to be very active in talks over these next 10 days. Like I, I don't know if they'll end up pulling off a move or not, because who knows, sometimes the rug gets pulled out from under you, or you don't end up you know, getting somebody for the value that you think they're worth or whatever. But I expect them to be very active because even if they think, you know, Bradley Beal is 100% here or Bradley Beal is 95% here, we just have to push it over the edge to show that we can really be competitive, make it into the play in, which will eventually make us, you know, throw us into the into the the playoffs if you win there. Uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they went after one of the conventional big names that are out there, you know, uh, uh, Sabonis, um, I'm sure they're going to be active in, in, in there and, and, and a number of other names that I, I feel like they could, they could get involved with just seeing how they can make their, their team better. Cause they have a lot of guys like they, they have like 13 guys, you know, like Aaron holiday is not playing much. He's had a pretty good year. Uh, Daniel Gafford was out of the rotation this past game. I, I don't think they would want to trade Gafford. They really like him. Uh, but they have three centers and and Harrell's expiring. Thomas Bryant is expiring. You don't need three centers who demand playing time. You know, there, there are moves that they can make, three for one moves, things like that, which could bring in a quality player that could help them. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to destroy your future either. Well, and it's got to be disheartening for the organization. If, if you have potentially the combination of Brad having second thoughts again, like we kind of thought he did, you know, um, over the summer and, and when we were monitoring uh, that situation more, with the you know the status in the standings and the fact that you're you're seeing yet again with the new iterations built around Bradley Beal that the ceiling is not nearly as high as you you were hoping it would be the time does come where you know maybe it is time to move on so who knows if that could be an interesting wrinkle here at the deadline guys we are going to take a quick break and keep it in the east when we get back as you know especially when it's an eastern conference heavy uh tampering pod it's going to have a 6 degrees of Ben Simmons component so next up, we will chat about the Brooklyn Nets, who Slater and I saw over the weekend when they played the Warriors and and uh, and try to break their situation down. We will be right back. All right, gentlemen, let's talk some Brooklyn Nets. So they roll into the Chase Center on Saturday night, um, you know, barely lost. Wow. Why am I drawing a complete blank? Slater, who won that game? The Warriors won by a few points. The Warriors were up big, and then Kyrie Irving was awesome in this uh, third quarter. Brought them back. Really, actually, uh, you know, gave Brooklyn the lead uh, momentarily. Forced the Warriors to switch up coverage. Really blitz them uh, with a more aggressive scheme. And I think Brooklyn's flaws down the stretch uh, showed when they don't have Harden and, and Durant. I don't really love the rest of the roster. I mean, no Joe Harris too. Like if they are fully healthy come postseason, um, I do think. Think they're dangerous, but you can just—I don't know—I don't know about you, Sam, but clearly you don't remember. Too I was going to say, Fred, you game. like how I just had to just admit my rustiness there, and Slater, who <laughs> had claimed to also be rusty, just busted out his like beautiful mind routine with every detail of the game. I do remember Clay. Well, Thompson. I wrote about the game in detail on yeah, the athletic. And I, and I you hit can the go road subscribe. after talking to people after the game, so that's where my head was at. Um, yeah, Clay hit a big three. That was the, in terms of moments, that was the biggest moment of the night. I thought it was actually Clay's, you know, kind of biggest clutch shot. And the crowd certainly responded to it. And Kyrie had a mea culpa after the game because of his foul on Clay, where he admitted that he essentially kind of had his foot in Clay's path. And that was a, 
another big moment as well. But more the macro look at the Nets. Um, you know, like always, it was just good for me to get closer to their group and to try to have a few conversations, to read the room a little bit and get a sense of of their mood um, within the context of this season and the trade deadline. You know, so that night, James Harden was completely, uh, you know, on track to play. And then fairly close to tip off, they say that he had a, a wrist strain where they had done the MRI. They say, was it hand or wrist? I mean, they say something about the I think the hand flare. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, he, I mean, wrists can be yeah, hand. I mean, he's I mean, wearing I, a big I, brace on the wrist. Um, the MRI was clean, but they they had seen you know the strain in there. So you know that's obviously not ideal. And then it was the Kyrie show, um, but. You know, it's just crazy to see, for one, they've lost four in a row, I think 11 out of 17. They're not playing very well. They've been keeping their, their heads above water. The Durant injury obviously kills him, and he's out for quite some time. Um, I don't know what the ripple effect, if any, might be at the deadline. Um, but, you know, listen, James Harden was was in the news a lot this past week. You know, Sham Sharani and I had reported on Philly starting to have some level of optimism about having a crack at him this summer and, and the idea that they would hold on to Ben Simmons because of that, you know, that kind of dream scenario for Daryl Morey. And then James in general, you know, reporting from Bleacher Report and other places about his happiness level and, and does he want to be a part of this Nets program. Fred, it's a little bit analogous. You know, the, the, the Beal situation is evolving and it's not as intense right now seemingly but it's a little analogous to to the Beal Wizards dynamic where teams obviously when there is a chance for that player to to leave town in the the forthcoming offseason you would really like to have clarity uh about where that guy's head is at and so the idea that the James is is you know potentially one foot in and trying to see how this playoff run goes before he decides what he wants to do next is is making a net season that was already pretty tricky even trickier Right. I mean, the big difference is if the Nets win a title, anything's worth it, right? Like you do this to go get a title, whereas the Wizards are in a position to where like they're they're far off from that. I mean, they're many, many moves away from that. Um, the Nets are weird because they're kind of living out the situation that that like Slater's brought up on this podcast and many other people have of are they just better off if they get the five or the six seed? avoid the playing tournament, and then they have Kyrie for a game seven in the playoffs. And now that they're kind of diving and and they're only a couple of games out of first, uh, I think they're two and five without KD. And I think they're sitting right now sixth at the time that we're recording this podcast. It's like, does it does it feel like they're going to be better off in the long term? Are we just going to look back on this? And if they get the if they get the five and they have to play Milwaukee in the first round, but they're able to use Kyrie in a game seven against Milwaukee in the first round or something like that, then which, by the way, would potentially be an un freaking believable first round series if it ends up happening. Uh, But if they have to play that and they they need Kyrie in a game seven, any of these like, are we going to look back on this and be like, of course, of course, they're better off. Fred, you. Fred, you would have a better pulse on this than than I would, but I kind of think by April he's going to be allowed to play in home games. I, I I just I just feel like societally that that's the way the direction might be going. Um, we'll see, but that's just that to me that's my guess. And then wider scope, I think the Brooklyn Nets, because of what I've seen from the rest of their roster, will not win a title unless they have their three main guys healthy and available the full playoffs. Now, if they do, I mean you saw Kyrie the other night, Sam, like he's unbelievable. But if they don't, like this their rotational drop off below those three is just it's 
it's hard like uh, to, to imagine Joe Harris being out too, which is huge. And Lamar Lamarcus Aldridge got hurt the other day. Yep. And yep. he has been man, he's he should be on six man of the year ballots this year. He's he's been great. His numbers on long twos this year, I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge, we've always seen on, on you know, his, his mid-range game is so sweet, but he's like having the best mid-range season of his entire career. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like he's had, particularly when you compare it to Blake Griffin, a better season, but at the same time, I mean, you see it the other night. I mean, he's attacked, he's slow defensively. Like, I worry about him in a playoff series, you know, in against a Milwaukee, like Giannis at the center lineup. Like, there's just flaws throughout the roster that can only be masked if those three are available and healthy together and do, what's the percentage chance that that's likely that they're all three going to be playing like on a nightly basis come april may slater i wonder I think that's their only chance. real quick since you mentioned it you know what what cues are you kind of drawing from in terms of your suspicion that he that Kyrie might be able to play in the home games that surprises well, like me san francisco it yeah, well, San Francisco just recently kind of is beginning alterations more for like, you know, um, you know, negative, you know, changing their rules as as maybe we get out of this next wave as society really kind of advances to a point that, uh, you know, endemic is the word that I know we've even used on this podcast. But I just think that I, I could see the requirements being lessened or something being worked out again. Maybe Fred has a better sense on that. Maybe he's following the the governmental maneuvers a bit more than me in New York City. I just I would say don't be shocked if those rules are altered by playoff time. I think any of them is possible. I honestly have no idea. I know the new mayor here, Eric Adams, has said that he's going to continue the policy, but who knows? Things change quickly with this thing, and that's uh, two and a half months into the future. So I well, and no idea. even more so, yeah. And it also, from a media standpoint, man, this team is tricky to cover because we are suckers for kind of you know you like to have themes throughout a regular season with these different teams where you track their story and their narrative, and and it's like these nets. You you kind of have to just at some point accept the reality that that come mid April. It's going to be like the equivalent of a pickup basketball game where they just hope that, you know, enough of the really good players are ready to be thrown on the floor. And chemistry is probably not going to be what they had hoped it would be. But like you said, Slater, if those particular three guys are available and they put their sneakers on and they get out there, they're probably not getting off the floor for a long time. Um you know, and, and you, when I talked to the Nets the other night, I mean, for what it's worth, you know, and I'm not unfortunately around them very often, but some people I know on the team sent the message that they were actually handling all the drama pretty well. It wasn't really kind of coming within their walls. The hardened news wasn't rocking anybody. You know, that there weren't, you know, kind of, it wasn't causing friction internally. Um, seems like they're rolling with it uh, other than not playing all that well. And, uh, and, and then you kind of ask the question of, you know, how much does that really matter? Yeah. The other Nets thing is that early in the season when they were really rolling and there was no Kyrie at all, part of the reason was that their defense majorly outplayed expectations. Uh, and and if you looked at some of the analytics, the the Seth Partnows of the world were predicting a regression in the second half of the season. And that's really come They're They're back around the middle of the pack now in defense. But I honestly think part of it is that Kevin Durant hasn't been there for seven of those games, too. And KD was having a hell of a defensive season. I mean, he's been really, really good for them defensively this year. I think he's probably the best defensive player. Um, and so, you know, him and him and Brown. So so I think I think not having him there is it's so much bigger than just losing the guy who can get any shot that he wants and hit it at a ridiculously high percentage. Like that that has massive defensive consequences too. 
It's also kind of deceiving the the East in general. You know, they're they're twenty nine and twenty. You know what I mean? Like sixth in the East sounds awful, um, but twenty nine and twenty. If they were in the West, it would it would be f- uh, good for fourth. So we'll see if they can pull out of this. Let's uh, let's pivot, guys. Unless you had more to get on the uh, the Nets front, uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the ATL Hawks. Um, you, you got this team that made the conference finals appearance last year. You know, a little bit of a Cinderella run. Uh, and then has been fairly disastrous all year long. You know, a lot of trade rumors coming out of Atlanta regarding, you know, a number of different guys. But, you know, Cam Reddish obviously goes to New York. But, you know, the John Collins situation and uh, the Hawks having been engaged on the Ben Simmons front, you know, didn't want to take back Tobias Harris. Uh, a lot to unpack there. But my goodness, they go from losing five in a row, falling to 17 and 25 to now reeling off what is it? Seven in a row. So they got a, a game tonight against Toronto. So that'll be over by the time this pod comes out. But um, what do you see in there? The, the defense has gotten a lot better. And I do think there is a ripple effect on trade discussions because I think there is a declining motivation to uh, to do anything big out that way. And specifically with John Collins, because all of a sudden it, it feels like they might have figured something out. Well, I mean, a little reminiscent of last year. You know, they were... Uh they're 24 and 25 right now. Last year they were 23 and 24. I'm looking at it right now. Um like they were they fired their coach, right? I mean, they had an interim coach. Like it was going pretty disastrously last season and it felt panicky around the All-Star or around trade deadline and uh then they just turned it on and you know, made this crazy run to the to the East Finals that probably raised expectations too high for them this season. Uh, but this is sports, right? You know, winning changes everything. Winning changes every situation. Just like we were talking about Bradley Beal earlier, if the Wizards rattle off six out of their next seven, they're probably not trading Bradley Beal, and, and everyone will be in high spirits around there. So, uh, yeah, seven in a row for Atlanta. They look pretty good. Maybe, Fred, you want to dive into what, you know, what is going so right for them, but uh, they're winning, and that matters. So I have, I have a prediction. Um, based on, to be clear, to anyone who might be listening, this prediction is based on absolutely no intel at all, which are the best <laughs> kinds of predictions. That always means there's intel behind it, people. Just no, kidding. there's there's absolutely no intel. Don't listen to Sam. He has no idea what he's talking about. Just This is just about from watching the Hawks. So the, 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 the piece you always hear about in, in trade conversations of, the, of all the Hawks young guys, it's always John Collins, right? That's that's the one who always comes up is, oh, could he be moved somewhere? Um I wonder if the conversation this summer shifts to Clint Capella because Onyeka Okongwu has been unbelievable during this streak. Uh, he has been incredible for them, and we talk about their defense looking so much better, and it's been for various reasons. Chris Kirshner just wrote a really good piece, I think, for this morning about uh, how Trey Young's defense has been better over this stretch, but Okongwu is 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 really hitting another level defensively, protecting the rim. They can switch him. Uh, and, you know, this is the number six pick from last year who everything, you know, he got hurt and he's come back and everything is just starting to click for him defensively. You saw flashes of it last year in the playoffs when he guarded Giannis in the Eastern Conference Finals and really did for a rookie an excellent job guarding, you know, a two-time MVP. I think he's been great, and you just watch him play. You watch how versatile he is. He's still on a rookie contract, and right now they extended Capella, so he's, they can't trade him until this summer. He's not eligible. But I wonder come this summer if if one of their goals is just going to be 
got to open up minutes for Okongwu because he's been great. DeAndre Hunter coming back from his injury has been very big for them as well. You know, he's their premier wing defender and and does a really good job for them. And I think just having those guys playing at the level that they have uh, adds this amount of of feistiness and and physicality and just pure defensive ability. Like they just those guys just have pure defensive strength, length, athleticism. They they're 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 a whole different level. Uh, and I think they're fifth in uh, points allowed per possession over the seven game winning streak. But I don't know, I love watching Okongwu. I think he is. I think he's a good player. No, you're right. They're fifth in defense during this stretch. Um, you know, those are those are. I think you're on point with the Capella analysis for sure, Fred, because he was great for him last year. But their 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 price tag roster wise is pretty uh, extreme, and I think in general they're probably looking for ways to to lighten that up down the road, especially if they got young players, you know, like him coming up and doing good things. The Collins thing, like so many situations around the league, is going to be one we got to keep monitoring. But there's a human element where. Reminds me a little bit of Miles Turner in Indiana, where it's a young player who has a kind of a grander vision for his own career and his own path um, than the team that he plays for, you know, would like a, a bigger role. I mean, even during this stretch, you know, you look and, and John Collins is averaging 15 points a game, you know, getting 11 shots, um, third on the team, you know, even Bogdanovich is shooting more than he is. That's the kind of stuff that is always going to pull at the Collins situation. And the question is, you know, is he going to be happy uh, long-term continuing to play this role? Or does he think that, you know, he's got, I mean, it's a little bit like Jeremy Grant going to Detroit and leaving Denver, right? Like it's in these guys, it's well within their right to, to try to chase that kind of a role. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But uh, I do think the Hawks in general are going to be a big part of the trade deadline discussion. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. All right, guys, let's jump from Atlanta over to Milwaukee, the reigning champions. The Bucks are, you know, that early on this season, we, I think, gave them a well-deserved, not a pass, but like this kind of, this card, if you will, for, you know, reigning champions are allowed to not coast through the regular season, but to prioritize the bigger picture. And Giannis, you know, had talked at length with our Eric name, Bucks beat writer extraordinaire about, you know, kind of how he had learned the art of, of, uh, of of kind of getting everything set in the regular season and, and not always having a results-based outlook, if you will, on your program. Uh, and so Giannis, you know, older and wiser, was looking at the regular season differently. And that's all well and good, but but then you look up and it's late January and, you know, there's no alarm bells here. They're 31 and 21 as we record here, but just not as dominant as we probably expected them to be. And, and admittedly, Eric got my attention recently because he knows that team better than anybody when he was you know, kind of declaring on Twitter that this team was, he just didn't think was as good as, as last year. Um, they're playing smaller a lot. Um, you know, they just got absolutely smoked by Denver and, you know, the Nuggets are playing great ball, but you still have no Jamal Murray, no Michael Porter Jr. And you're losing by 36 to the Nuggets. Uh, what are you guys seeing from, uh, from the champs? Yeah. You know, they, they got wrecked by Denver last night. And speaking of Eric, Eric wrote an interesting piece about their strategy against Nikola Jokic, which they were doubling him the whole game. Yep. And Jokic just sliced him up, 15 assists. And, you know, he wrote about the risks in constantly double teaming the guy who might be literally the best passer in the world, right? And all I'm thinking 
as you know, and I, I, I see some of it. I'm not going to sit there and watch them lose by 36 the whole time. But I see some of it, and all I'm thinking the whole time is they're doubling because they don't feel like they have anyone who can guard them one-on-one, which just makes me think, <laughs> man, they they miss Brooke Lopez. Like, I, th- them losing Brooke Lopez, I think, has been a really understated part of their problems this year. They're They're down in defense. Well, it's because... They have a guy who they, you know, they they don't rely on him quite as much as they did two years ago in terms of his rim protection and all that. But part of the reason their defense was so good is because you have Brooke Lopez just being in a wall in front of the rim all the time. And you have Giannis being able to help from the weak side and guard in every possible way that you can at an elite level. And he's unbelievable protecting shots at the rim. And it's just so difficult to get dunks and layups against them. You know, if Brooke Lopez is there, in all likelihood, they're not doubling Nikola Jokic with the aggression that they did in that game. You just have Lopez be a just be a giant person standing there and fighting against Jokic and just just do your best. And you're more easily able to take away passing lanes. Uh, I think there are just so many moments, you know, their their defense is worse this year. And I think part of that probably has to do with the championship, you know, coast effect. But like not having Brook Lopez is a really big deal. He's become one of the best defensive centers in the league. And he's really important to them. And I just I I I don't think they're as good if they don't have Brook Lopez. And you have a seven footer in his mid-30s with a back injury. It just it makes me worry about their viability moving forward. Uh, you know, if the same Brook Lopez comes back before the playoffs, then you know, obviously this point is moot, but I just find it difficult. To watch them, even when I saw them over the weekend play the Knicks and and they played well in that game and Giannis was outrageous and they they beat the Knicks. It was just like they are they are just a different animal when they don't have Brooke. He's he's so important to them. And I feel like that should be part of the conversation. No, for sure. And and I know within all that, listen, basketball is is not a boxing match and we can't look at it that way. But I, I, I have to admit, when I read Eric's piece about the way they guarded Jokic, it did drive me nuts in terms of just the simple idea of Giannis not guarding him. You know, you're reading about Bobby Portis being on Jokic, you're reading about Drew Holiday being on him, and it was a little bit of a flashback to the series in the bubble against Miami where, I mean, honestly, I'll never forget, even on a personal note, you know, sitting down with Jimmy at heat practice, asking him very bluntly if he was surprised that Giannis didn't guard him, and to have a player of Jimmy's caliber just kind of look in the eye and say, yeah, yeah, I was, you know. And and so that that was obviously a thing that that was attached to Giannis before, you know, he led his team to a championship and 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 you know, had moments where he did lock down the other team's best player. I mean, I know again, we're sitting here in late January. Giannis doesn't have to be out there proving himself in a regular season game, but it was strange. Uh, I think but then that begs the question of with Lopez out, I mean, you, is Giannis supposed to put that cape on every night too? You know, that's probably not what's best for their program. But I think you're right. I mean, they they obviously did the DeMarcus Cousins experiment for a while. And defensively, that's just, you know, eons away from what Brooke is giving you. And that wasn't the solution. Um, but that is for sure one of the, uh, the reasons I think they are, you know, gettable, if you will, when it comes to uh, somebody knocking them off the crown. Yeah, Giannis's greatest strength is also just what he does off the ball, right? It's yep. it's the way he helps from the weak side. It's his weak side shot blocking. It's how he gets into passing lanes, and that kind of stuff gets neutralized when you when you put him on a lead ball handler too. 
But isn't there a threshold the there? And, and it's you might disagree, Fred. But like, I, where's that threshold of like, all right, the reigning MVP is just crushing us. Like Giannis, can we just throw you on him for a little bit? Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, it was the same thing in in the Brooklyn playoff series last year when Durant was just going off, right? Same same exact conversation. Right. That's fair. Just adding color. I wanted to get my DeMarcus Cousins stat off. That's no, uh, he's been on a few 10 days. He's like in the, he's near the league lead in technicals. I just think it's funny. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, the center's their issue. Bobby Portis is just like, you know, can't necessarily hold up against the Jokic's of the world. But, you know, there's no Nikolai Jokic in the Eastern Conference. It ain't going to have to see him in the playoffs. And, and when I look at the Eastern Conference and as bunched up as it is and as as much as i'm doubting brooklyn's ability to get those three on the floor together for an entire playoffs i like them more than any team um now miami you know to me miami is probably their biggest threat uh but maybe it's because i went to milwaukee for a warriors bucks game and the bucks just railroaded the warriors and it was uh super impressive but i i think it's mostly just malaise of the season it's you know they're 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 coasting a little bit. Yeah, I mean, see, I remember just being around those Warriors teams post title. They coasted. I mean, this is just what that's a terrible teams do. that's a terrible parallel. Actually, my guy, I love you. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on that one. When they win in 2015, I mean, they they come out and and just absolutely decimate the league in the in the next regular season. You know what I mean? Like you won. Yeah, I get, you won one chip. It's not time to coast. Yeah, you're not a dynasty, but also. Uh, I don't know that it's it's not not. I mean, look, the Lakers won a title and, and kind of cruised to seven last year. And yes, that was a big issue. So again, my parallels are not going well. Um, but I I don't like to me the Brook Lopez in the center situation. Like certainly is a concern that they. I don't even know. Like it, it's going to be tough for them to correct. Maybe that is their soft spot come the playoffs. But I don't see any like big time alarm bells in Milwaukee. All right, guys, we're going to take another quick break. And on the other side, keep diving into the East. There's too many teams to get through everybody. But uh, I want to hear your thoughts on the Cleveland Cavaliers because we do not talk about them enough. And Kelsey Russo is doing good work out there. And Kobe Altman, and Kelsey, of course, is our beat writer. Kobe, the guy who runs the team in the front office, doing a fantastic job. And J.B. Bickerstaff, um, absolute shocking surprise story of the season. And we don't give them a lot of run on the tampering pod. And so let's get into that on the other side of this break. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out, birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10 minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60 minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, 
or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. All right, gentlemen, the Cleveland Cavaliers picked a really good time to have themselves a turnaround story. They are hosting the All-Star Game. And so uh, I'm actually on track, you know, barring any unforeseen changes to go to said All-Star Game later next month. And uh, and they'll be hosting the league and, and they get to show off, you know, their their actual team, which is not something we thought that we'd be saying at this point in the post-LeBron James era. Um, it's stunning to me. How many All-Stars will they have? I mean, Garland probably, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I think, think Garland. Garland I didn't there. necessarily mean. Yeah, I, I phrased that incorrectly. I just mean like they can they can puff their chests out as everybody comes to their city, you know, knowing that it's not just a gimmicky uh, event that they happen to host in their fine city. This is a this is a, an NBA city again with a contender in the East, and that's just not something that we thought we were going to be saying. Yeah, I don't know how everything comes out in the wash uh, from an actual All Star standpoint. Garland's certainly worthy, um, you know, especially his late game stuff is incredible. And, uh, you know, we know what Evan Mobley has been doing. And again, I'm just stunned like everybody else, because it's one thing to come out. Jared of Allen, season. Sam. Yeah. Give Jared Allen his man. respect. $100 million. He's having man. a great year. He is. Well, and it's just like it's I wouldn't I would have been shocked if they came out of the 2021 22 campaign with like an undeniable young core that was headed in the right direction. You know what I mean? Like that would have surprised me to have it be this, which is like people like us admittedly having to wrap your heads around the idea that, you know, hello, it's time to talk about them actually making an impact in the playoffs. They're 30 and 20 as we record this pod. They, uh, you know, they're tied for third in the East. It's they're you know, they're two games back of Miami for the top spot. So it's big time stuff. They're really good defensively. Like you, you exactly the concept I was talking about with Milwaukee right now. That's the Cavs this year. Like you cannot get to the rim against them. Uh, Jared Allen has been one of the best rim protecting centers in the NBA. Evan Mobley's defense is so good for a rookie. Like rookies don't guard like this. And they have so much size. They're playing with Markinen. And they're such a weird team. Like their their makeup, if you just throw it on paper, it's like you have a, a rookie power forward who's who's kind of a center. You have a, a seven foot three who is really a stretch four. Uh, and you have a, a rim diving five who also blocks shots. It's like those guys working together are not supposed to make sense. And, and yet they've been you know, exceeded expectations probably more than any other team in the league. And it's because like you look at the rim protection numbers on them, teams are shooting 60% on dunks and layups that the Cavs contest. And that's the best number for any defense in the league. And that all starts with with Mobley and with Allen. Uh, I think it's a good argument for Jared Allen. Being, I don't know if Jared Allen should be an all-star, but it's a good reason why his name should come up in these conversations. Like he's He's been great. Uh, Bickerstaff's obviously doing an extremely good job. Uh, and Garland, even with Ricky Rubio out, has been so good offensively for them, just just carrying them offensively. I'm curious to see what they're going to do with the deadline. Like They could still use another ball handler with Rubio out. I'm curious to see how they try to fill that. They have Colin Sexton's expiring, and he's hurt. They have Rubio's expiring, and he's hurt. Like You could bring back about $29, $30 million of salary 
with those two guys without sending out someone currently in their rotation if you really want to do that. Uh, so I'm very curious. Is there an, they're an interesting deadline team. Yeah, I think they should be patient. You know, again, like if, if something makes sense and it's you're just losing some expiring deals in like a future like second rounder or something, that's okay. But I don't think they should like make – and I I would say the same thing about Memphis in the West. I feel like they've built young cores that, you know, we could theoretically see making some noise in the playoffs this season, but it is not time to go all in yet. I would just save the valuable bullets in the chamber. That's all I'd say. Um but and you know they already you mentioned the an extra ball handler they kind of tried to nibble around the edges already they traded for Rondo right that was kind of the the Rubio replacement I could see them doing something smaller like that but uh, you know what about Kevin Love right for we thought he was going to be a buyout He's candidate we thought yeah <laughs> right six man untouchable <laughs> in trade talks I mean that's that's another development we didn't see happening. He just was laying in the weeds during the, uh, the the toxic part of the Cavs turnaround, and then and then when they needed him, he came out and played some good ball. No, it's a fun story. Um, I mean, is Bickerstaff coach of the year? He's on the short list, right? Like, how do you guys see the coaching component here? Yeah, Taylor Jenkins again. Uh, there's the you mentioned the short list. He's definitely among that. But. Although, man, I gotta be honest, Spo better be on everybody's short list if they end up winning the East, and and, and he should probably win the damn thing. They've been battered by injury. Um, you know, it's funny, all the Lakers and all these other teams out here that point to their health uh, as, you know, the excuse for not playing better. What Miami's done has been incredible. And, and Spo, as always, is a huge part of that. But Bickerstaff, I'm happy for Billy him. Donovan. Billy Donovan, too. Mon- Monty, yeah. Monty Williams again. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Monty Steve Kerr's done a great, great job, too. Coach of the Year is hard Steve, this year. Don't tell the Warriors fan base, but Steve Kerr can maybe be on that It's crazy. List, All yeah. we do is talk about the motion in the Warriors offense and how beautiful their offense is. It's like the coach who designs it doesn't get any credit for that. Their Nothing? offense has been terrible lately, Fred. You're not watching. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there's No, there's a ton of good candidates. Monty, I hate to say it because I, I, I greatly enjoy him. Uh, he's he's not going to get a ton of love just because it's, I think, the consistency and it's it's it should be he should find it flattering because i think people finally respect phoenix so much that it's like well you had cp and book and and deandre for most of the year and um but no it's going to be a tight coach of the year race even philly man like what if philly is is top two top three in the east with no ben simmons and all the chaos around them yeah i mean you know doc rivers has done a solid job but I I would bet he'll be more on most people's like fifth, sixth on their ballot. Sure. He doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Monty Williams screwed himself this year. If How if so? Monty Williams were were just like if the Suns were just like competitive last year, then he'd be coach of the year this year. But because right. the Suns were so good last year, they could be exactly the same this year. And now their improvement's not enough. Monty Williams screwed himself by being as good as he was last year. This year, and I That's think really I'm what accurate the vote will come in saying this. I'll I'll look real quickly, but they're significantly better at this point than they were last year let's see if it's yeah they i mean they've been incredible they're the most dominant team out there it's you know they're the only kind of consistent team out there even your warriors slater we thought that's who they were going to be but they uh they obviously have been more roller coaster these past couple of weeks yeah i mean 49 is an unbelievable record oh so they're 40 but- it took them 55 games to get to 40 wins last year so they are certainly ahead of their pace um through 49 10 in a row again so they have, they've won 10 in a row as of right now and what was the streak earlier this season like 17 in a row mm-hmm. something like that 18 maybe 
Uh, and so curiously, and I'm, I'm as guilty of this, and now we're, we're jumping over to the West as we finish up here. I'm as guilty of this as anybody. It is a hell of a thing to be that dominant and then to not have your two best players in the MVP discussion almost at all. You know, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, like when you, whether it's a, a list that gets written and analyzed or just talk shows, you're not hearing those two guys very much. I mean, you know, wh- where do you think they fit in? Is that just... Don't... Don't rope me and Fred into a Chris Paul versus know, Devin right? Booker argument on who's the most valuable player on the team. Ah, uh, they eat, they nibble at each other's votes a little bit. I think Phoenix is rightly looked at as more of a collective, right? This like stable five man starting lineup that's really good, a, a deeper bench, really good coach. It's just they're a machine more than like a one man operation. And like to be honest, Chris Paul and Devin Booker probably should be, you know, sixth and ninth in the MVP discussion, but we just don't discuss six and nine that's still really good how about them neither being an all-star starter I know. I they, me. they they should both be all nba this year in my opinion if the season ends today you know we'll see what happens but if the season ends today i'd have them both they're 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 the arrested development of of nba teams just just a, a beautiful ensemble cast like they're such a well-made roster they have fewer weaknesses than any other roster in the league yeah nope they do. All right, guys, I'm going to end with this. It's a little bit of a down note, and, and it is out west, just in terms of keeping up with the news. The Jazz is Joe Ingles. Um, it came out during the recording of the pod. Torn ACL. Um, thinking about Joe, that's terrible news for him. Uh, I actually saw him on Saturday. We uh, we caught up for a few minutes on the court and was trying to get his thoughts on the season. And, and you know, he was in good spirits. He actually... Um, was uh, talking to, to Ryan Smith, the jazz owner who was there as well. So, you know, you see the smile on his face then and then see the video of him going down and knowing that that he's got a, a tough rehab ahead and free agency coming at him this summer as well. Um, terrible news for Joe. And, and for the jazz, I mean, he had had a down year without question, but, you know, he is a major part of what they've built out there, not just on the court, but the cultural stuff and the locker room that, uh, that has been through a lot and, and kind of, survived through all that stuff joe has been a steadying force so you know you hate to see anything uh, like this happen and, and it's another blow for a jazz team that is that has obviously been having a tough time of late he also seemed to be maybe their like movable trade piece to to for sure potentially upgrade the rotation and obviously you know you, he could still be traded but this completely impacts any type of value uh for him so it's a bad i mean it's 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 horrible for joe Ingles and it's a really bad timing for the jazz um who i you know as this, as they're trying to hold together this donovan mitchell rudy gobert era it does feel like it's maybe slipping a little bit and and, and you know it could still be rebooted and they they still hold contract control over those two good guys moving forward but it just you know it's teetering on nearing a potential like reset of, of what we've known to be like a top tier team the last few years i generally agree but i'm very curious to see how it unfolds because that would normally, you know, that everything you said Slater is on point, but to me in Utah, having control of two players as good as Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, um, you know, you, I mean, it's, you know, somewhat analogous to Carl and and John Stockton. Like you don't know when you're going to get two elite players ever again. So I, if I had to guess, they're going to, you know, they, they have, they have, they are not letting go of that rope anytime soon. Yeah. I'm not saying push the panic button to trade one of those two, but the mix around them is like proving, first of all, it's expensive and it's proving 
it seems not capable right. of of where they want to go. And you know, we're talking. I'm Mike Conley, huge contract. Bogdanovich, huge contract. Lost uh, eleven and, of and some, I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was that bad. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not good. Um, we'll see. But yeah, it's uh, again. This the Angles news just came at a really bad time for them. Yep, no doubt. All right, guys, I appreciate you. I'm going to let you go on that note. We uh, we will talk to you next week. Maybe we'll jump back over to the West next week. Trade stuff at that point is going to be hot and heavy. Next recording of the pod, what will that be on the 7th? We'll be three days out from the trade deadline. So Slater, get some rest. Go listen to some, some Kane Brown to get your mind right. And uh, Freddie, appreciate you, brother. 